We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 188 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021, and we, on this Tuesday in the nation's capital, have an NFL team that just beat the reigning defending Super Bowl champions in shocking fashion, and we have an NBA team that is alone atop the Eastern conference. Who says that DC sports teams are no good? Tremendous comeback by the Wizards on Monday night. Overcame a 19-point third quarter deficit in a 105-100 win over the New Orleans Pelicans at Capital One Arena. Capital One Arena was alive, my friends, on Monday night. And yes, the Pelicans are a bad team, but also, yes, the Wizards were again without Bradley Beal. In addition to, again, being without multiple other key players. The Wizards now are 10-3. and This is the franchise's best 13-game start to a regular season since the 1974-75 regular season. And yes, the Wizards are alone atop the Eastern Conference. The beast of the East is our team. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, Stephen A., that team. Uh, I will talk Wizards later in the show. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, your flagship pod for Washington, D.C. sports. We're not used to having all of this success to deal with in terms of our team, so we'll try to handle the success well. We'll try to stay humble. We'll try to take each game one game at a time, but I can't promise you anything. Lots to get into uh, with our Washington football team in addition to our Wizards. So Chase Young is, in fact, 
done for the season. That's pretty much what Ron Rivera told us during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon. Next segment, I will discuss what this injury means for Chase Young and for the Washington football team. How will Washington handle edge rusher moving forward with Chase out for the rest of the season and Montez sweat out for a while? with his fractured jaw. Also, I'll get into other aspects of Washington's defense, including the secondary. Could it be, might it be, that Washington's secondary, which of course had been abysmal, uh, is finding its way this season? We certainly saw signs of that in the 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Speaking of that game, plenty of heroes for Washington in it, including Taylor Heineke and Antonio Gibson. I have more for you on their performances off comments from Ron on Monday. I also want to get into Washington going with so many first down running plays in the game. I thought that was interesting from a strategic standpoint. Why did Washington go with so many first down running plays in the game? Was that the right way to go? Uh, We'll have that discussion. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael King on the Washington football team's big win over the Bucks and on Maryland football, writes Michael. Taylor Heineke was great. The haters will tell us why he stinks. Chase Young and Montez sweat gone, and yet the defense was better. Probably a blip, but yeah, fun. Terps football will stink always as long as Mike Loxley is here. Maryland guy, good guy, can't coach. Maryland needs to commit to a quality staff and pay for it, or the $200 million the school spent on facilities is wasted. As I always say, your show is the greatest of all, and if I miss the song, I always rewind to hear it. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Yes, the intro song for this podcast, the theme song for this podcast, once a source of fierce debate, now has become beloved at least by some people. Uh, Email from Rob on Taylor Heineke versus Tom Brady. This is good, writes Rob. Time for Taylor Heineke to go. Two picks in the first half and only six points, finishing 23 of 34 for 220 yards, 6.5 yards per pass attempt, two touchdowns versus two picks. But that's not the killer. The fourth quarter drive from Tom Brady to eat up 10 minutes of the clock and close the game out with a touchdown. We have to move on. Heineke doesn't belong in this league. Then the loss of Chase Young, the defense fell apart. I guess that is what contributed to Brady's 10-minute drive to end the game. Thanks, Rob. P.S. Sabah and I are meeting for drinks Friday night. I love it, Rob. I love it. Well done, my friend. Well done. Uh, Actually, speaking of Sabah, uh, I got this email from her a few weeks ago. So this email was from before the win over the Bucs, but the email is worth bringing up now. Sabah, as plenty of you know, big Taylor Heineke supporter, in addition to being a big Washington football team fan. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think Sabah once said that she gave birth to one of her children with a Washington game on in the delivery room. That's being a fan. Uh, Anyway, wrote Sabah. Al, I was, as usual, listening to your podcast, and you mentioning that arm strength is overrated made me think of Kevin's interview with Rod Rivera today, 10-29-21. So she's talking about Rod Rivera going on with Kevin Sheehan 
on the team 980. Kevin asked him, does Taylor have the arm strength to be an every week starting quarterback in this league? Ron's answer was yes, he can make all the throws. He can throw the ball hash to hash. Can we please stop talking about Taylor's lack of arm strength? We have had several quarterbacks on our team who have had awesome arm strength, but who have failed miserably, like Jeff George and Dwayne Haskins. Taylor needs his weapons available to help this team. Now, again, that email from Sabah was from a few weeks ago, but I thought that it was worth reading now off Taylor Heineke's excellent performance in the win over the Bucks on Sunday. Yes, arm strength for quarterbacks is overrated. What matters in terms of arm strength for quarterbacks is can you make all of the necessary throws, and Heineke can. Is great arm strength nice to have? Yes. Does Heineke have great arm strength? No. But Heineke's struggles with accuracy and at times decision-making are his biggest problems. His arm strength is not as big of a problem as some people seem to think that it is. You know, Ron Rivera used to constantly tell us about how strong of a throwing arm Dwayne Haskins has. It became comical because it was obvious that that meant next to nothing in terms of Haskins being a good NFL quarterback. The two things that matter the most for a quarterback are A, quick and accurate processing of defenses and decisions, i.e. your processing speed, and B, accuracy, okay? You have to be able to throw the football where you want to throw the football. If you have those two things, processing speed and accuracy, you have a chance at being a quality NFL quarterback. Those things are the way to being a quality NFL quarterback. Well, there's no better way to grow your business than with Imageworks. Uh, Imageworks is a full-service boutique web design, branding, and marketing company. Clients in the DMV and throughout the country trust Imageworks to deliver full-service, forward-thinking, and growth-accountable marketing services. From the forging of authentic brands and the development of engaging websites to the reeling in of new customers and the spreading of brand awareness, Imageworks Creative Minds are focused on one goal, your business success. Imageworks will help you find more customers, will help you tell a story that positions you as a leader, will help you increase conversions, will help you plan your overall marketing strategy, will help you nurture warm leads, and much more. But Imageworks is more than a branding and marketing firm. Imageworks is a one-stop digital shop with a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. Imageworks thinks of you as a collaborative partner. Imageworks works best as an extension of your team, pitching ideas, thinking outside the box, and developing the strategy, branding, and marketing campaigns that'll take you from A to B. Put Imageworks to work for you by calling 703-378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703 703- 378-0000 or go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. Uh, 
All right. So the big question off this Washington football team 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon is, what was that? What was that? Was that victory the start of a turnaround for Washington this season? Was that win a sign that the tradition that is Ron Rivera coach teams doing well in the second halves of seasons is alive and well? Or was that victory a fluke? You know, was that a win that was a one-day occurrence that will never be duplicated the rest of the season? Washington has had great wins in bad seasons before. The Colt-McCoy game, that overtime win at the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football in October 2014. That was a tremendous win. It was a win that took place at Dallas. It was a win that took place against the Cowboys team that was on fire at the time. That was a win that took place with Washington's third string quarterback, Colt McCoy, as the starting quarterback. That was a win that had no business taking place. That was a win that had no business happening, but that was a win that happened. But that win ended up being one of just four wins for Washington in a 2014 season in which the team went just 4-12. and That was Jay Gruden's first season as Washington head coach. So you can have a great win, but the great win can ultimately mean nothing in terms of where your season is headed. The Colt McCoy game ultimately meant nothing for that 2014 Washington season in terms of it becoming viable. Will this win over the Bucs ultimately have the same meaning for this 2021 Washington season? You know, a nice moment, a nice blip, on an otherwise gloomy radar? Or might this win over the Bucks prove to be the start of Washington rising up in year two of the Rivera era? We don't know. We just do not know. We do know this. Chase Young is done for the season. Well, that's essentially what Rod Rivera told us on Monday afternoon during his day after the game Zoom press conference. In case you don't know, uh, we as Washington fans are not allowed to enjoy anything, okay? So even a big win like this win over the Bucks has to include some sort of buzzkill, and we got that with the Chase Young injury. Second quarter, third and two for the Bucks at the Washington 11. Chase Young injured in rushing Tom Brady on his three-yard shotgun completion to running back Leonard Fournette for first down. A cart came out for Chase. He refused the cart. Instead, walked off the field with the help of trainers. The fear on Sunday afternoon was that Chase was done for the season. Here was Ron on Monday with the official announcement on Chase Young. Um, it's been confirmed this morning that uh, that Chase did uh, injure his leg and it will pretty much end his season this year. All right. So Ron says that Chase injured his leg and that the leg injury, quote, will pretty much end his season this year. End quote. What exactly did Ron mean by leg injury? Did he mean that Chase tore an ACL? Well, yeah, he has a, he has a leg injury. Okay, okay. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to let the I'll let the doctors talk about it when they have to talk about it. If they talk about it, um, I don't want to get too detailed about it because I really don't know a lot of the specifics. Okay. Okay. And by the way, the doctors will never talk about it because team doctors basically never talk publicly. Uh, It's not like there are weekly press conferences with Washington's team doctors and or trainers. Now, to be clear, the reporting is that Chase Young suffered a torn ACL. Washington football team insider Ben Standing of the Athletic DC on Monday confirmed that Chase suffered a torn ACL. Washington football team insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post on Monday confirmed 
that Chase suffered a torn ACL. Uh, It is, by the way, the right ACL. And this is terrible news. I mean, let's not sugarcoat this. That Chase Young, on whom Washington spent the number two pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, has suffered a season-ending torn right ACL midway through his second season is terrible news. And I'm not even talking about what Chase's absence will mean for the team the rest of this season. I'm talking about Chase Young, an athletic freak, a man who is as athletically gifted as maybe anyone in the NFL. That he has suffered a serious right knee injury is a big deal. He may never be the same. Now, this doesn't mean that he can't still end up being a great NFL player. Plenty of guys have come back from ACL tears and done well, but Chase's remarkable athleticism figures to be lessened by this. I mean, most people don't come back from ACL tears more athletic than those people were prior to their ACL tears. The hope is to preserve as much of the athleticism as possible. The other killer aspect of this is that Chase was in the midst of this underwhelming second NFL season. And so now, instead of him working his way through the difficulties of this season, he's done for the season. So whatever progress he could make as a pass rusher is put on hold. That's not good. You know, Chase getting better at dealing with all of the chippers. Oh, the chippers. Uh, That's now put on hold. And consider this too. Chase suffered this torn right ACL on Sunday, which was November 14th. There's no guarantee that Chase will be good to go for next season. He didn't suffer this torn right ACL in August. He suffered this torn right ACL in mid-November. His availability for the start of the 2022 season is in question, to say nothing of his availability for off-season practices and 2022 training camp. Again, this is terrible news. I feel bad for Chase. Uh, I wish Chase nothing but the best. Like I said on Monday's show, episode 187, whatever lack of production that Chase has had this season, and whatever the reasons for that lack of production, we all want Chase to be great. And this torn right ACL clearly gets in the way of Chase Young being great. And so now what for Washington? Because remember, Montez Sweat is out as well. Montez in the loss at the Denver Broncos in week eight suffered that fractured jaw. He's on the reserve injured list. He's in the midst of an expected absence of four to six weeks. It's amazing. Washington's defense had by far its best game of the season in this win over the Bucks at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. And this happened, A, despite facing an elite offense in that of the Bucks. B, despite facing the greatest quarterback ever in Tom Brady. C, despite Washington playing the entire game without Montez Sweat. And D, despite Washington playing most of the game without Chase Young. It really is amazing when you go bullet point by bullet point in terms of everything that was working against Washington's defense being good on Sunday. And yet the defense was good on Sunday. The defense was good for the first time this season on Sunday. So what now for Washington at edge rusher? Well, here were the playing time percentages for Washington edge rushers in the win over the Bucks, Chase Young played on just 25% of Washington's defensive snaps due to the injured leg. Uh, James Smith-Williams played on 79% of Washington's defensive snaps. Casey Tuhill played on 60% of Washington's defensive snaps. Shaka Tony played on 19% of Washington's defensive snaps. And Bunmi Rotimi played on 17% of Washington's 
defensive snaps. Who are these last four guys? James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, Shaka Tony, and Bunmi Rotimi. Well, you know at least some of these guys, right? James Smith-Williams, who Ron Rivera continues to call James Williams Smith, uh, was taken by Washington with the second of the team's two seventh-round picks in the 2020 NFL Draft out of NC State. By the way, the 2020 seventh-round pick that was used to take Smith-Williams was acquired in March 2019, along with quarterback Case Keenum in a trade that featured Washington only sending the Denver Broncos a six-round pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Casey Tuhill, Washington claimed him off waivers from the Philadelphia Eagles in October 2020. Eagles took Tuhill in the seventh round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of Stanford. Shaka Tony, Washington took him with the team's second seventh-round pick in the 2021 NFL Draft out of Penn State, and Bunmi Rotimi. Interesting story. Washington, uh, this past Saturday, signed Bunmi Rotimi from the practice squad to the active roster. Washington initially signed Rotimi as an unrestricted free agent in July 2021. Rotimi attended West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia, went to Old Dominion, briefly spent time with the Chicago Bears as an undrafted free agent in the 2018 offseason, and then played in the Alliance of American Football and the XFL. So Boonby Rotimi is quite the football story, and he's going to get at least somewhat of a shot here with both Chase Young and Montez Sweat out. Ron Rivera on Monday on what now for Washington at edge rusher with both Chase and Montez out? Yeah, well, for the bit, for the most part, obviously, um, Casey Tuhill will get an opportunity as uh, James Williams Smith got as well. Yeah, and then we're gonna we're gonna rely on some young guys to step up and uh, and 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 get opportunities. Uh, uh, again, and excuse me for messing up, but but Boomi Rotini is, is will get an opportunity. He, he played for us, um, you know, this this past weekend. Shaka Tony will get an opportunity to play uh, a, a little bit more, and then we got a couple of guys on uh, on practice squad that we're going to take a look at as we go through the week, and uh, there's a good chance we'll we'll elevate um, one of those guys come game day on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. Yes, we will. But did you hear Ron do it again right there? Call James Smith-Williams, James Williams Smith. Uh, Look, it's a forgivable mistake. I just find it funny that Ron keeps doing that. He did that over the summer. He did it during his post-game press conference on Sunday, then did it again on Monday. But Ron, at both the post-game presser on Sunday and the day after the game Zoom presser on Monday, essentially apologized for being uncomfortable with the name Bunmi Rotimi. Uh, Ron's actually doing all right with that name. It is the much simpler to pronounce but harder to remember James Smith-Williams that's giving Ron Rivera problems. Casey Tuhill will get an opportunity as uh, James Williams Smith got as well. Yes, Ron, whatever that guy's name is. Anyway, call him what you want, but Ron likes the guy. James Smith Williams has played a decent amount over his two NFL seasons. Ron on Monday on James Smith Williams. Oh, I think he's been solid. I really do. I, I think that, um, you know, the one thing you've seen from him has been consistency, and it's been a lot of fun to watch him uh, get better and better at things. And uh, same thing with Casey. I think both those guys are, you know, obviously in their second season, and you see them um, starting to step up a little bit. So it's been, like I said, kind of good to watch guys grow and develop. Yeah, Ron has been rather aggressive in talking up James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill for a while now. What about the interior guys? Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis. Tim Settle. Will Chase Young and Montez Sweat being out adversely affect Washington's interior defensive lineman? 
Rod on Monday on that. I think the guys that we have have enough athleticism to continue with the outside pressure. They, they do. I mean, they're just guys that nobody really knows. They haven't really had a lot of opportunities. But when you watch the tape and you see some of the things, there's some pretty good efforts out there. You know, you watch, um, you know, we, we watched Casey, uh, did some really good things. We, we you know, we feel Casey's a, uh, athletic enough that we could drop him into coverage a couple times. And you guys saw him break on the ball, help make some big tackles. Um, James Wynn Smith is more of a uh, uh, physical six, what we call a six technique guy that can play a little bit more head up on the tight end and be very stout against them. Um, you know, we got Shaka, who we, who we do like a lot. Uh, we think he's got some juice to him. Um, and uh, Routine Me, um, and I know I butcher it and I apologize, but uh, uh, Boone Me has done a nice job. He's got some good quickness, some good athleticism. He had a pretty good camp as well. So um, we're anxious to watch these guys play. Yeah, and there was Ron again calling James Smith-Williams James Williams Smith. And Ron again feeling bad about how he says, boon me, routine me. But regarding the interior defensive lineman, something that I wonder is this. Might Ron and Jack Del Rio try, say, Jonathan Allen as an edge rusher? Would that be worth a shot with both Chase Young and Montez Sweat out? I mean, look, Jonathan Allen is capable of lining up somewhere other than on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, I know that you don't want to do anything to curtail the great season that Allen is having, but I wonder if he might be able to excel rushing from the edge with Chase Young and Montez Sweat out. Allen in the win over the Bucks had another good game. Bucks' first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out, four snap of the drive. Jonathan Allen smashed Tom Brady on a quarterback hit on a Brady third and eight shotgun incompletion. Bucks' third offensive drive resulted in Bobby McCain's first quarter interception of Tom Brady. Third snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen stuffed running back Leonard Fournette on a third and one under center handoff run for no gain as Allen got pushed on the Bucks stud left guard Ali Marpet and then was able to disengage and make the tackle. Bucks' sixth offensive drive, the Bucks' first offensive drive of the second half resulted in a third quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Jonathan Allen heavily pressured Tom Brady on a third and two shotgun incompletion. Jonathan Allen through games on Sunday was tied for third in the NFL this season with 20 quarterback hits. Allen and maybe the best edge rusher on the planet, TJ Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers tied for third in the NFL this season with 20 quarterback hits. Rod Rivera on Monday on why Jonathan Allen is having such a good season. He's physical at the point of attack more so than anything else. You know, you, you get a lot of guys that that stutter and 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 float looking for an opportunity. Jonathan just goes forward, and it's the quickest route to the quarterback is straight ahead. And when he's doing that, he's having success. And and then he's got a tremendous hump move. You know, the you know I, I don't want to compare it to Reggie White's, but it's still a pretty good hump move. And uh, and and it's you know it gives him a chance to get vertical, get into the quarterback's lap. And caused some problems. I, th- I think um, his hit on the first third down, I think, was a little bit of a disruptor. And um, I think it's really kind of helped uh, help our guys uh, get going. Yeah, Allen has been great this season of having signed that four-year contract extension in late July. But, of course, there is no replacing Chase Young and Montez Sweat in terms of their talent. We can debate the production from these guys so far this season, but these guys are two high-level athletes. Ron on Monday on what Washington loses in not having Chase Young and Montez Sweat.
big, they're athletic, and they can move. Um, you know, those guys are hard to find. But you know, one thing that 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 did stand out, you know, that 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 he's done, he's done very well this year. Obviously, has been you know his run stop. You know, I thought Chase has been been solid as far as that part of the game. I, I know there were some things on this pass rush that he's been working on. Uh, he had a really good week last week. I was so disappointed it happened so early in the game because he had a really, really good week, and we were anxious to watch him. Um, there were some good moments early in the game until he until he got hurt, and and it was promising. So, um, but you know, you 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 do lose the the, the thread of, of 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 that type of player coming off the edge right now. Uh, you know, we got a couple of more like workman guys that will be getting opportunities, and, and we'll see how they handle it. Yeah, Chase has been very good against the run this season. Washington's defense as a whole has been quite good against the run this season. And by the way, that Washington's defense has been so good against the run this season, and yet still overall has been bad this season, tells you how much more important it is to be good against the pass as opposed to being good against the run. Now, you want to be good against both the run and the pass, but this cliche thing in the NFL of all good defense starts with stopping the run. Uh, No, actually, that's not true anymore. You know, it sounds good, but it's not true. It's fake news. And Washington's 2021 defense is an example of this. Speaking of being good against the pass, a good game for Washington's secondary on Sunday. And that happened despite Washington being Without its number three corner, Benjamin St. Juice, inactive due to a concussion. But back was William Jackson III. Uh, He returned from a two-game absence caused by a knee injury. Jackson played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps, had the first of Washington's two first-quarter interceptions of Tom Brady. Kendall Fuller played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Danny Johnson played on 31% of Washington's defensive snaps. Remember, Washington has two other corners, Torrey McTire and Daryl Roberts on the reserve injured list. And then at safety for Washington, Bobby McCain played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Cameron Curl played on 92% of Washington's defensive snaps. And the secondary helped to generate two first quarter interceptions of Tom Brady and hold him to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.47. Remember, Washington's secondary had been the worst part of Washington's oh-so-bad defense this season. Well, the secondary played quite well on Sunday. Let us give credit where credit is due. Rod Rivera on Monday on the improved play of Washington's secondary. Uh, one thing that I really appreciate is the way they've been communicating even more so, and, and they're doing it with confidence, which really kind of leads me to believe that, you know, that they're starting to get that feel of, of the, you know, when guys have been together a while, they have a little bit of a feel that, that something's, you know, you only need to say certain things. You only need to look a certain way. And and that's what you want to get to. And, and, and we're still working that way, but you see them seem to just feel like they can handle things more um, with, with, with really good communication. And, and to me, that's a big step. It, it really looked good. Uh, like I said, they came in on, on, on Monday and Wednesday and, and, you know, which is really when you're coming off the bye, you always worry about those two, two days and they really handled it well. So I was pretty fired up, pretty excited about them. I tell you what, if Washington's secondary has actually finally gotten its act together, honestly, that changes everything for this Washington defense. As bad as both Chase Young and Montez Sweat being out is, the secondary getting its act together and becoming good is a bigger deal in terms of this Washington defense this season, if in fact the secondary is getting its act together and is becoming good. And 
Time will tell. But what stood out to me maybe as much as anything with Washington's secondary in the win over the Bucks was the tackling. Remember how awful the tackling from Washington's secondary was, say, in the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6? We had the polar opposite on display on Sunday. Take, for example, the Bucks' eighth offensive drive. Took place with Washington nursing a 23-13 lead, resulted in a punt on the first snap of the fourth quarter. The sixth snap of the drive and the next-to-last snap of the third quarter. Kendall Fuller tackled receiver Chris Godwin on a Tom Brady second and six shotgun completion to Godwin for no gain. Rod Rivera on Monday on Washington's tackling in the win over the Bucks. Well, you know what? I, I did like the physicality in which we played with. And one of the things I know that uh, Jack and the defensive staff talked about was trying to limit the run after catch as much as possible and being very physical with their playmakers. You know, they, they got a couple of guys that are just, you know, outstanding football players in, in, in Godwin and Evans and, 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 and break for that matter, a tight end, um, and Fournette coming out of the backfields that we had to get our hands on those guys. We, we, we couldn't have space between us. The, 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 the rack is the thing that, that, you know, they seem to have a lot of success with, you know, the run after the catch. So we wanted to make sure we were tight matching our, our coverage, connecting with those guys. I thought they did an excellent job, our guys, in terms of connecting and then passing and, and playing with vision. A couple of times we lost our vision and, and they got a couple of big plays out of it and it did show. But when we were where we needed to be doing the things that we needed to do, we felt pretty comfortable about being able to get after them. And and that's one thing that that uh, was really good. I think the physicality in terms of when the ball was being delivered, guys were getting hit. I think that led to a, to a, to an early turnover, obviously. And then the second one was the body presence on the second interception that Bobby had. Because if you watch it, what happens is, uh, I believe it was Cole rolls under the uh, Evans, who was coming through the middle, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that created the, the 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 need for the quarterback, you know, for for Tom to feel like he had to elevate that throw a little bit. And you heard Ron mention the importance of Washington limiting the Bucks yak or rack. Uh, Yak is yards after catch. Rack is run after catch. That was one of my rhyming keys on Friday's show, episode 186, for a Washington win over the Bucks. Receiver Chris Godwin especially has been very good at generating Yak this season. But you also heard Ron in that cut praise Cole Holcomb for what he did on the play that resulted in Tom Brady's second first quarter interception, the one by Bobby McCain. How about Washington's linebackers, a group that now, in theory, includes Landon Collins, although Landon really is more of a linebacker safety hybrid, but whatever. Uh, but how about this from Ron on Monday on Cole Holcomb and others? Yeah, I thought, well, to be honest, I thought him, Jamin, and 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 uh, Landon, for that, for that matter, played really well underneath. You know, one time Jamin rolled a little too much and, and carried uh, a little deeper than he had to, and, and it showed they found, you know, Tom found the open guy. But for the most part, those guys were where they needed to be um, in terms of handling the crossers and, and really the immediate underneath, which was big for us. Because, again, you know, if, if we make the guy hold the ball a little bit, he's going he's gonna to have to either throw it into tighter windows or he'll throw it away. And, and, and we were able to, to, to be successful that way. Yes, you were. Playing time breakdowns for Washington's top linebackers, or at least uh, linebacker types in the win over the Bucs. Cole Holcomb played on 100% of Washington's defensive snaps. Jamin Davis played on 56% of Washington's defensive snaps. I tell you, Jamin's playing time really has been all over the place. Jamin's playtime percentages over the last five games are 23, 56, 98, 79, and 56. 
Uh, Landon Collins on Sunday played on 92% of Washington's defensive snaps. This was Landon's third game since Ron Rivera at that post-practice press conference on October 20th said of Landon, quote, he's a downhill attacking style of player and we've got to make sure we're putting him in position to have success for us, end quote. And then Ron later in the presser said of Landon, quote, we really believe he's a downhill player, end quote. Uh, Landon's playtime percentages since Ron said those things are 43, 89, and 92%. Up next, much more on the Washington football team off the win over the Bucks on Sunday afternoon and Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, including Ron on Taylor Heineke's performance and some analysis of Washington in this win over the Bucks, going with so many first down running plays. Uh, the plays largely didn't work, but did the strategy. I'll get to all of that and much more after this. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Still plenty of time this NFL season to attend a game, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets, including Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you could find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you want to attend the Monday Nighter against the Seahawks on November 29th, or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th, or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We continue with the Washington football team conversation off the 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon and Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon. Last segment, I talk Washington defense. This segment, we talk Washington offense. So Taylor Heineke on Sunday had his first truly good game since the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. It was no coincidence that Washington's four-game losing streak coincided with Heineke's four-game stretch of really being no better than just okay in any game. I mean, he wasn't horrible in every game, but he wasn't very good in any of those four games. He was very good on Sunday. He wasn't perfect, okay? So if you are a Taylor Heineke denier, a Taylor Heineke hater, a Tay-Tay hater, a Tater, okay? There are nits to pick, all right? I don't deny that. There are nits to pick with Heineke's performance, but he made so many big clutch throws, and he quarterbacked an offense that delivered. Heineke quarterbacked a Washington offense that went 11 of 19 on third downs and two of two on fourth downs and scored on six of its nine drives. Now, Washington went just two of four in the red zone. Uh, That's better than what Washington had been doing in the red zone. Washington, over the course of the four-game losing streak, went just two of 11 in the red zone. So two of four is better than two of 11. But the offense moved, and Heineke was the quarterback of that offense. I mentioned Washington going 11 of 19 on third downs. Washington's 11 third down conversions were its most in a game since the team went 12 of 17 on third downs in a 30-24 overtime win over the then San Diego Chargers at FedEx Field on November 3rd, 2013. Perhaps you remember that game. Uh, I remember that game as the Darrell Young game. Then Washington fullback Darrell Young, three rushing touchdowns in that game, including the game winner in overtime. Uh, also for Heineke in the win over the Bucs. He, of course, quarterbacked the drive. And really, that's all you have to say at this point, the drive. A tremendous 19-play, 80-yard fourth-quarter touchdown drive that consumed a ridiculous 10 minutes, 26 seconds off the clock, resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 29 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 29-19 lead. We now know this to be true. That drive was Washington's longest offensive drive since a 20-play touchdown drive in a 17-13 win at the New York Giants on October 27th, 1991. And if you are a Washington fan and you hear that year, 1991, of course, what runs through your mind is that that was the greatest team in the history of the franchise. So the Washington football team on Sunday did something that the franchise had not done since the greatest team in franchise history. You have to go back 
to late October 1991 for the last time that Washington had a drive that lasted for at least 19 plays. And what's so funny about that is the Washington starting offensive line for that game, again, a 17-13 win at the Giants on October 27th, 1991, included Mark Slareth, who was the in-game analyst for Fox's telecast of Washington's win over the Bucks at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Mark Slareth, you know? I mean, what are the odds of something like that being the case? And yet, that was the case. But yeah, Taylor Heineke was really good in this game. As I said on Monday's show, episode 187, Taylor Heineke outplayed Tom Brady in this game. Rod Rivera on Monday on Taylor Heineke's performance in the win over the Bucks. Well, I, th- I thought it was good. I really did. I, I think the one thing that's interesting, more than anything else, is I, I really do appreciate the way we approach the game. I thought, um, you know, as I said earlier, yesterday, I thought Scott Turner did a nice job keeping the balance for us going offensively. Um, you know, we were in a situation where we could run the ball, keep trying to run the ball. I think that really helped offset a lot of things. All right. So regarding Ron Rivera complimenting Scott Turner for sticking with the run, let's get into Scott Turner sticking with the run. Let's get into that. So as I said on Monday's show, episode 187, I could not stand how often Washington ran the ball on first downs in this game and how unproductive so many of those runs were. If the runs were working, I wouldn't be complaining about this, but the runs were not working. I put together the numbers. You ready for these? So Washington for the game had 19 first down running plays versus just nine first down passing plays. So if it felt like Washington ran the ball a lot on first downs, that's because Washington did run the ball a lot on first downs. Washington for the game totaled 19 first down carries for just 42 yards. That works out to 2.21 yards per carry. Now, One of those carries was a one-yard touchdown run. Antonio Gibson's third-quarter one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run came on a first and goal. It's unfair to include that in this discussion because that lessens the yards per carry, but we all would agree that that is a successful play. On a first and goal at the one, you get a one-yard touchdown run. That's a successful play. So if we remove that play from the mix, you're still looking at 18 first-down carries, for a total of 41 yards, 2.28 yards per carry. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Well, Washington wanted to kill clock while playing with the lead in the second half, and so that's why so many first down running plays were called, and I hear you on that, and I agree with you on that, and I don't necessarily hate that strategy in a vacuum, but you at some point have to say to yourself, okay, well, are these plays working or are they not working? And in fact, let's just look at this, the first half, because there's almost never any clock killing in the first half. Washington in the first half on Sunday totaled eight first down carries for 26 yards. That's 3.25 yards per carry. Still not very good. And then there's this, and this maybe makes my point more than anything. Taylor Heineke for the game on first down passes, seven of eight for 78 yards. That works out to 9.75 yards per pass attempt. Now, Heineke did take a sack on a first down passing play, so that needs to be mentioned. But how about that? 
Washington on its 19 first down carries averaged a mere 2.21 yards per carry. And if you take out the touchdown run, it's 18 first down carries for a mere 2.28 yards per carry. Taylor Heineke, over his eight first down pass attempts, averaged 9.75 yards per pass attempt. Not 9.75 yards per completion, 9.75 yards per pass attempt. Would you rather average a little more than 2.2 yards per play or nearly 10 yards per play? Passing is more efficient than running. Most people get that by now. I understand the value of running the ball in this game in particular. And look, running the ball did help Washington to dominate time of possession. Washington ended up winning the time of possession battle by 18 minutes, 16 seconds. That is a staggering amount, and that played a major role in Washington's defense having the game that the defense ended up having. But understand, passing works far better than running in today's NFL. And if I'm Ron Rivera or Scott Turner, I'd be very careful with running the ball so often on first downs moving forward. That is an antiquated way of doing offense in the NFL in 2021. And, you know, if this was just something specific to this game, then fine. But I really hope this isn't something that we see a lot of moving forward. And by the way, I tend to think that it probably isn't just because it's not something that we've seen a lot of from Scott Turner. He actually has been rather aggressive during his time as Washington offensive coordinator when it comes to throwing on first downs. Running the ball a lot on first downs is a recipe for a bunch of second and longs. You know, I mentioned Washington going 11 of 19 on third downs in this game. Think about that for a moment. Like, yes, it's remarkable that Washington finished the game with 11 third down conversions. But ask yourself this question. Why is it that Washington had 19 third down opportunities in this game? Well, one of the big reasons is uh, Washington rarely got first downs on first and second downs. Uh, Because Washington was running the ball so often on first down plays, Washington was winding up with a bunch of third down opportunities. And Washington, to its credit, converted on a bunch of those third down opportunities. But Many times you'll see an offense have a good game and actually not have that many third down opportunities. Why? Because the offense is putting forth big chunk plays on first and second downs. Uh, Washington was not necessarily doing that on Sunday. Did do some of that, but didn't do a lot of that. And a big part of that was Washington running the ball so often on first downs in this game. And by the way, running the ball on first downs does nothing for play action. Uh, Play action has been studied many times now over the years in football analytics. Play action works regardless of how good your running game is and works regardless of even how often you run the ball. So long as you have somewhat of a threat of running the football, play action will work. So once you establish that you will run the football, your play action can work. Here was Ron Rivera on Monday on Scott Turner's play calling in the win over the box, including how that play calling compared with Scott's play calling in other games as Washington offensive coordinator. Well, I haven't had a problem with his play calling. I really haven't. I mean, again, it, 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 there's a lot of things that go into to successful play. And so I, I have not had a problem or an issue with his play calling. Um, 
I, I do know, though, that that the balance that we were able to play with, you know, you get a lead, hold the lead, and you play good defense, it makes it a little bit easier to call plays on, on, on both sides of the ball, to be honest with you. And, and so when you talk about complete victories, this was one of those because, again, we, we, we managed and handled things. You know, look at the time of possession we had. I mean, we, we, we you know, we, we had almost uh, double of, of, of their time of possession. And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a huge comfort to, uh, to, the, uh, to the defensive side of the ball. But it also means you have a really good rhythm. One of the things that I was really pleased with was that we were able to run the ball when, 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 when we knew they knew. We had to run the ball. That that was big, and that was big on on the way our offensive line played. So, um, you know, I, I I do think that you look at the success we had in the red zone. We were two for four. I mean, we got down there uh, and we scored points. You know, we we had accounted for twenty points, and and so when you can do that and capitalize, I think that's important. You know, and and again, I think the situation, circumstances in the game really allowed us to to be very very balanced. If we can be balanced, if we can distribute the ball to ten different players. Um, that gives us a chance to 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 um, to be successful. Yeah, and offensive balance to me is about getting the football into the hands of a variety of playmakers. Balance isn't about having as many running plays as you have passing plays. The idea that that should be a goal of an offense is foolish to me. Like, okay, if we pass the ball 30 times, that means we must run the ball 30 times. No, you as an offense should do whatever works. If that means calling a ton of passing plays, fine. If that means calling a ton of running plays, fine. Now, a man who, of course, plays a major role in Washington's running game is Antonio Gibson. And Gibson's numbers in the win over the Bucs weren't necessarily great, but he did make a number of big plays. Gibson had 24 carries for 64 yards and two touchdowns and two receptions for 14 yards on two targets and playing on 63% of Washington's offensive snaps. Just look at the two drives that resulted in his touchdown runs. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's third quarter first and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff, touchdown run, sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and 13, 12-yard shotgun handoff run, seventh snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, nine-yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's ninth offensive drive, the big 19-play drive, resulted in Antonio Gibson's fourth and goal one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run with 29 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Sixth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a second and six, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Ninth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, two-yard shotgun handoff run. Fourteenth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke had a second and 11, six-yard shotgun completion. To Antonio Gibson, the completion forced the Bucs to burn their third and final second half timeout with 3.05 left in the fourth quarter. 16th snap of the drive of the snap right before the second half two-minute warning on a first and goal at the nine. Antonio Gibson, a five-yard shotgun handoff run. Also, Gibson had an ultra-physical run in the game, and he had multiple physical runs, but this one stood out to me in particular. Washington's Third offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second quarter, third and six, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to DeAndre Carter. The first snap of that drive, Antonio Gibson, a punishing first and 10, five-yard under center handoff run on which he plowed right into linebacker Devin White. Devin White made the tackle on the play, but Devin White felt Antonio Gibson on that play to be sure. Remember, Gibson is still dealing with this ailing shin, and yet he did as he did 
in this game on Sunday. Ron Rivera on Monday on Antonio Gibson. Well, I think the biggest thing, and you mentioned it, was the shin shin injury. Um, you know, we've been managing that very well. I think the, the training staff has done a nice job in, in keeping him, you know, um, on the field. I think um, Randy Jordan has done a great job handling him. And, and it's interesting because if you go back and you look at the way we used him in the game and, and, and rolling in uh, uh, Jared and, uh, and J.D., I, I think that really took a lot of the pressure off him. It was, it was good to see. Um, but uh, I think the big thing, though, more so anything else, has been that he's, he's, he's been able to practice more and more each week. Um, you know, you mentioned the way he ran. It was one of the things that I know that uh, Coach Jordan and um, and Coach King both talked with me. We talked with uh, this past uh, week about some of the things that we felt that uh, Antonio needed to do a little bit better. I know they talked with him about it, and he seemed to really take it to heart. I loved his his, his aggressive style. And I loved how physical he ran. Yeah, Gibson was good on Sunday. Now, Ron mentioned he and other coaches having talked with Gibson about how he can be better. What they talk about? Well, we talked about obviously pressing the hole, sticking with uh, you know your your targets in, in terms of, of of where you're supposed to aim at as you're coming. You know, once you get the ball and you're headed towards the line of scrimmage, um, you know we, we talked about pressing it, uh, running behind your pads, keeping your lane going for me. Just a lot of little detail things that that were really good for him, um, and and really create a little bit of vision or imagery in his mind so that he can he kind of saw what uh, Coach Jordan uh, was talking about. Antonio Gibson for the season is averaging just 3.75 yards per carry. He has five rushing touchdowns. Again, though, he has been dealing with this shin. So I think that's important to remember with Antonio Gibson. He's been playing hurt for most, if not all, of this season. Right on Monday on how far along Gibson is in his development as a running back. Well, we feel really good about what we've seen uh, the last few weeks. And, and, and coming out of the bye, he, he, was, he was really solid. Um, again, I, it was one of the things, like I said, that Randy and, and I and Coach King, we all talked about a couple of things we felt that could really help him. Uh, he seemed to take those things to heart. And, and I was really pleased to, to see the things that he did. One thing that we did do was we did incorporate him a little bit more into the quick passing game. Um, you know, because he is a good route runner coming out of college, having been a wide receiver, and he's a big body to tackle. So that was one of the really good things. All right. One more thing on the Washington football team. So one of the best ramifications of Washington's upset win over the Bucks was the great postgame locker room video that Washington posted. Uh, Ron Rivera speaking to his players and Ron was in rare form. Don Ron was feeling himself, was feeling his team. He was fired up. His players were fired up. I love stuff like this. I am a sucker for post-game locker room celebrations. I am a mark for post-game locker room celebrations. Uh, We had some fun with this on Monday's show, episode 187. Here is the audio from the video. That tells me what you guys are capable of. You just measured yourself to Goliath, all right? You just measured yourself and you found out who you are and what you're capable of. I'll tell you what, I've been waiting to say this to you. Victory Monday! Don't get full of ourselves. Learn from this event. Learn from what we did today. Let's get better. All right, here we go. Team on three. One, two, three. Team. 
All right, so there you go. And you hear Ron announce a victory Monday, prompting the players to go nuts. What got the players to pop more than anything in that video was Ron proclaiming Monday a victory Monday. What exactly is a victory Monday? Well, here was Ron's explanation of a victory Monday on Monday. That means that the players are get to celebrate a little bit longer on, on Monday. They don't have to come in and watch the tape until uh, until Wednesday. It's an opportunity for them to kind of just relax a little bit. You know, guys will come in, they'll do their testing. You know, they'll get workouts in, they'll they'll, they'll get they'll get uh, treatments and stuff like that. But for the most part, uh, they they really have nothing else required other than to take care of themselves. Um, you know, it's actually the first one I've given them in, in, in a year and a half, in the season and a half. And uh, it was kind of a pretty emotional thing for our guys. You know, it was a big win. They had a big week. They really focused. I thought the coaching was excellent this week. I thought the, 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 the focus was excellent this week um, coming off the bye. I really did a lot of times getting the guys back to, to take a couple of days, but they came in on Monday and Wednesday and were, were rolling and it just kind of built up a little bit of momentum going into Thursday and Friday. Good to hear that. A victory Monday for the Washington football team. It's first victory Monday with Ron Rivera as head coach. Hopefully we'll have another victory Monday after this Sunday afternoon's game at Ron's former team, the Carolina Panthers at one. All right. Well, what a win for the Wizards on Monday night. The Wizards were down 19 points in the third quarter to the lowly New Orleans Pelicans, and yet the Wizards ended up winning. Wizards won their fifth consecutive game, improved to 10-3, and a 105-100 win over the Pelicans at Capital One Arena. The Wizards, in improving to 10-3, and are off to their best 13-game start to a regular season since the 1974-75 regular season. Yes, 1974-1975. How many of you listening were even alive during the NBA's 1974-1975 season? I wasn't alive. Uh, The 1974-1975 season was the franchise's first season as the Washington Bullets. The Bullets began that season 11-2. and Well, the Wizards have begun this season 10-3. and What a job. Here was head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference on Monday night on the 10-3 and start. I mean, the it's, records are made to be broken. I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's a good thing, honestly. It's, uh, it's exciting, you know, and I think it's uh, a testament to this group. Uh, but you know, we, we still have a lot, a lot of games to play. And, you know, if in 25 games and we're still sitting here and there's another mark or another benchmark, then that's great too. But it's a long season and uh, we want to stay the course and continue to, you know, put in the time, put in the work. Yeah. And so here we are. The Wizards are alone in first place in the Eastern Conference at 10 and 3. The Wizards are the hottest team in the Eastern Conference with five consecutive wins. I can't believe that we're saying these things about this team, our team. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, Stephen A., exactly. Uh, Now, look, you could argue that the Wizards should have never been down by 19 points at home 
to the lowly Pelicans. And that's true. The Pelicans are not good. Uh, The Pelicans are without Zion Williamson, who has yet to play this season due to a right foot fracture. Uh, The Pelicans entered the game just 2-12 this season. However, as I keep pointing out, the Wizards are without a number of key players. Principal among them on Monday night, Bradley Beal. Uh, Beal did not play for a second consecutive game off the death of a grandmother, and yet the Wizards improved to 3-0 and without Beal this season. How about that as a statement regarding the Wizards' depth? The Wizards now are 3-0 and without Bradley Beal this season. Also missing for the Wiz, Davies Bertans did not play for a sixth consecutive game due to a left ankle sprain. The Wizards have not had Rui Hachimura at all this season. He has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. The Wizards have not had Thomas Bryant at all this season. He has yet to play this season as he recovers from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January. And yet the Wizards in this win over the Pelicans overcame a 19-point third quarter deficit. The Wizards trailed in the third quarter 63-44. But the Wizards ended up winning the rest of the game, 61-37. The second quarter in particular was ugly. The Wizards lost the second quarter, 33-16. Not good. But the Wizards were much better the rest of the game. The Wizards' defense inside in this game was really good. Wizards' three-point defense has been good overall this season. Wasn't great on Monday night. Wizards for the game allowed the Pelicans to go 11 of 21 on threes, but the Wizards for the game also held the Pelicans to 19 of 53 on twos. The Wizards in a fourth quarter that they won 32-20 allowed the Pelicans to go three of four on threes, but also held the Pelicans to three of 19 on twos. Just tremendous defense. And while the Wizards again weren't great on threes, uh, the Wizards were good inside. The Wizards went just 10 of 28 on threes, but also went 29 of 56 on twos. And so you add all of this up, the Wizards outscored the Pelicans in the paint by 16 points at 44-28. Now, two Wizards who were good on threes on Monday night were Spencer Dinwiddie and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Those two guys, uh, each of them went four of eight on threes. The rest of the Wizards went just two of 12 on threes. Now, Dinwiddie did go just 4-12 on twos, but he finished with 27 points, nine assists versus one turnover, five rebounds and two steals in 34 minutes, 12 seconds as a starter. Contavious Caldwell-Pope finished with 18 points, four rebounds and two steals in 34-55 as a starter. KCP in that fourth quarter that, again, the Wizards won 32-20, two two on threes, 10 points. Montrez Harrell, had yet another good game for the Wizards. Harrell in just 23 minutes, 53 seconds off the bench, 15 points on four of eight shooting, and four assists versus no turnovers. He did struggle on his free throws, went to seven of 11 on free throws, but how about the extent to which Harrell has been a playmaker lately? Uh, Harrell in the Wizards' previous game, the 104-92 win at the Orlando Magic on Saturday night, had seven assists versus no turnovers. So Harrell now, in fact, over the last three games, 14 assists versus no turnovers. And Harrell has scored at least 10 points in each of the Wizards' 13 games this season. I keep saying this. I will keep saying this. Montrez Harrell has been the Wizards' MVP so far this season. West Jr. during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Harrell. It's been big for us. I mean, it's, it's not just his consistent production. 
it's the his his energy and uh, i know we've talked about that but he, he brings that every day uh, so it's just the one thing that no matter how bad things are going <laughs> you, you're you gonna have trez and you know usually that that turns into positive things uh, his energy is infectious um, his energy on the glass, on the floor, his voice in the locker room. It's a steadying presence, which, you know, it's, it's, it's invaluable to have. Yeah. And then there's Denny Avdia, who has been so good, especially lately. Avdia on Monday night in 27 minutes, 35 seconds off the bench, had 11 points on five of six shooting, 10 rebounds, two steals, and the game best plus minus rating of plus 18. Uh, Denny Avdia, to me, is the prince of plus minus. Every game, it feels like this guy has a sparkling plus minus. And Denny Avdia on Monday night came up huge in the fourth quarter. Again, Wizards won that fourth quarter 32-20. Avdia in that fourth quarter, four points on two of two shooting and seven rebounds in playing for all 12 minutes. And the defense has been superb on this oh-so-improved Wizards team defensively. Denny Avdia has been the Wizards' best defensive player. Avdia, over the Wizards' first 13 games this season, is number one among qualified Wizards in defensive rating at 93.6. Defensive rating is points allowed by the team per 100 possessions with the player on the court for NBA.com. Wes Jr. during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Avdia. Well, it's, it's validation for him. He's put in a lot of work. It's starting to pay off for him. So you hope you hope that you know he'll see that uh, his work is, is is paying off. Those those minutes will come, the opportunities will come, and his teammates will, will trust him. And he's shown time and time again that he's a reliable on ball defender uh, with his size, his ability to move his feet. Uh, he, he's got more discipline. Um, the physicality he brings it's it's a uh, really good thing to see. Yes, it is. And the Wizards are really good to see right now. Next up for the Wizards, back-to-back road games uh, at the Charlotte Hornets Wednesday night at 7 and then at the Miami Heat Thursday night at 7.30. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday's show, episode 189, will feature a special guest, Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Where is this Washington football team season headed off the 29-19 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon? Also, I will have for you a special tribute to legendary former Washington linebacker, legendary former Washington radio analyst and Pro Football Hall of Famer Sam Huff, who died on Saturday. Uh, Among the things I want to get into is, is the team of Sonny Jurgensen, Sam Huff, and Frank Herzog the greatest Washington, D.C. sports announced team of all time? Uh, Also on the show, I will post-game the Capitals game on Tuesday night. The Caps will be at the Anaheim Ducks Tuesday night, late night at 10 to begin a four-game trip out west. And I'll post-game Georgetown's game on Tuesday night. The Hoyas will host American Tuesday night at 8.30. Hoyas uh, looking to rebound from that season-opening 69-60 loss to Dartmouth at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Casey Tuhill will get an opportunity as uh, James Williams Smith got as well.